Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to this EM360 podcast. My name is Susan Walsh. I'm the fixer of Dirty Data and I'm delighted to be your host on this podcast. I'm the founder and MD of the Classification Guru, a specialist data classification, taxonomy, customization, and data cleansing consultancy. In today's episode, I'm joined by Martin Mao, co-founder and CEO at Chronosphere. We're going to be talking about observability and how organizations can implement it. Hi, Martin. Uh, welcome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves and did I get your surname right? Hey, Susan. Uh, you did get my surname right. Yes. Uh, great to meet you. and Great to be on the, on the podcast today. Um, yeah. So, you know, here at Chronosphere, uh, we provide a observability SaaS platform uh, to other businesses uh, out there. And we in particular focus on helping companies that are going through some sort of transition into cloud native technologies there and, and help those, uh, help them gain visibility of their technology stacks and their business uh, in this new architecture. That's great. Um, so let's start with uh, the basics, just in case anyone listening doesn't know, what is observability? Yeah, it's a great question. It's actually a term that gets um, thrown around quite a lot uh, these days. And, and in fact, you might see many different flavors of observability uh, for us, what we mean when we say observability is we mean uh, a, a sort of tool or product that goes and measures uh, the, the infrastructure that you are running on. So perhaps your hardware, your VMs, your containers that you're running on. Uh, it gives you visibility into the applications uh, that you're running, whether they're uh, monoliths or, or microservices. And it also provides visibility into the business in real time as well. So by uh, observability for us, it's, it's really in capturing all, all three of those particular uh, use cases there. And then the, the other thing about it is for, from our perspective for observability, um, a lot of definitions out there are sort of made up of things like it's metrics, logs, and traces, which are the data types you need uh, to, to really uh, gain this, this particular visibility. But the way we think about observability is really what are you trying to get out of this type of tooling? And for us, regardless of the type of data that gets produced, for us, it's really about can you use the tool to be notified when something goes wrong, uh, know how bad the issue is when it does go wrong, and de debug it and figure out what the underlying root cause was. So as long as the tooling goes and does those three things, which is what you really want it to do, regardless of the data types that are being produced, that for us is, is observability. Well, as someone who loves to know everything that's going on, that sounds like a dream tool for me. Um, hmm. I mean, observability itself is a relatively new term. Where, where's the history? What's the history behind this? Yeah, it is a relatively new term that, that came about in the last few years. Um, you know, the, the concept of gaining visibility into your applications and your infrastructure has been around, you know, probably for as long as uh, infrastructure and, and, and software has been around for. So it's definitely not a new concept to gain visibility into your systems and, and, and your infrastructure and know what's going on. Historically, uh, perhaps, you know, um, this uh, was known as application performance monitoring, uh, for your applications and, and really trying to gain insights in how your applications are performing uh, on the particular operating systems or on the particular um, type of hardware that it's it's running on. Uh, and then on the infrastructure side, historically, perhaps it's been known as sort of IT infrastructure monitoring. So really looking at your networks, 
um, your, your, your the hardware that um, your applications are running on. So historically, those are probably the two different types that most companies uh, are, are aware of, and they've been around for a while. Now, we've seen many generations of this type of technology, and generally, um, every time a new generation is born, it's, it's generally in response to something happening in the way we write applications or something happening in the way we run our infrastructure. So, you know, perhaps about 10 years ago, when public cloud was 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 being born and becoming a thing and people were moving from running in their own data centers into the public cloud, that was probably the last time we had a, a shift and, and a need for a new type or a new generation of these uh, APM tools and IT monitoring tools that were focused a little bit different than when everybody ran everything in their own uh, data centers. And actually right now, about 10 years later, we're going through another one of these shifts again. So as a lot of companies are adopting cloud native, as they're trying to break up their applications into tinier and tinier pieces into these microservices, and we're running on container-based technologies as opposed to just the raw VMs or the underlying hardware, this is yet another uh, fairly substantial change in the overall architecture and how we we, we write our applications. And because of that, there's almost a, a new need to, to provide the same uh, benefits that we've always provided, but a new set of tools that provides these benefits for this new type of architecture that we're all adopting. It, it sounds very much like it's, it's, it's been created to solve a problem and it's just evolving over the, over the years. It, exactly. And the problem is the same, right? You know, for, for, for all of history, uh, again, as long as, I don't know about all of history, but as long as uh, software has ex- existed, you've always wanted to know how it's performing. You've always wanted to, to gain insight into your, your, your hardware and your infrastructure. So the, the sort of want and the need has always been there. It's just the way in which it must be delivered and how effective these tools are generally change every time, you know, the, the way if our, if our infrastructure and applications fundamentally change, you can imagine you need a fundamentally different type of solution to give you the same benefit um, and, and, and the use cases you've always had. When um, organizations do make that transformation to cloud native, why do they need to adopt observability? Yeah, um, so so part of it is, you know, as I mentioned, um, you, you've always n- needed this. So it's not like you adopt cloud native and all of a sudden you don't want the insights into your applications or the infrastructure. But cloud native in particular, observability, I think, plays a really key role. If you take a step back, you know, and and you look at the cloud native architecture, it is actually much more complex. You have many more uh, tiny pieces or tiny applications running. There's a lot more interdependencies between them. Um, uh, and, and the infrastructure piece is a lot more complicated as well. You have uh, many ephemeral containers now running on your VM. So it's, it's overall a much more complicated um, architecture. But if you look at why we're adopting this and the benefits of it, it's really because, you know, for, for sort of modern companies, they really want to make sure that the products and the services that they're, they're providing are, are a lot more uh, reliable, a lot more robust, or a lot more dynamic in the sense that they're like, you know, you can scale up with the resources you need to scale them back down. So, you know, a, a huge a huge part of the reason why people are even adopting this more complicated architecture is thus that their products and services can be more uh, effective, essentially, for the end consumers or end customers there. Uh, and you can imagine observability plays a key role in that because if you're trying to optimize the experience for your customers and give them a more reliable experience or a more performant or a better experience, you can imagine that the measurement of that, um, both of, of how that experience is of your product and service, but also how each of the components of your product and service 
are performing in order to serve that experience, that almost becomes key, right? So if you're trying to optimize, you know, and, and, and you know, um, if you take a concrete example, if you're trying to optimize uh, a, a, the latency of the experience for your customers, not being able to measure what that is, and then if that goes wrong, not being able to know fairly quickly why perhaps that, that experience is not ideal, you know, almost defeats the purpose of adopting this architecture in the first place. So, you know, I think while it's always been needed and this concept of monitoring has always been needed, observability plays an additional key role because of the reasons of why companies are adopting cloud native these days. As a, an outsider, it sounds to me like there's no reason why you shouldn't have observability. Um, it sounds like you're, you, you've got a big gaping risk if you don't have it are, are there companies out there that don't have it that don't do this um i i don't know of many companies out there that don't do this um uh again because i think historically um we've always had some concept of this one way or another i, I don't know of many companies that will release again a product or you know a, a piece of software and not measure how it's performing, not measure whether it's working or not. Um, I guess it, it could be possible, um, but but I'll say that those companies are probably going to be uh, less competitive in today's market. You can imagine if there's two companies side by side and one has a real-time view of how their product and service is performing, how it's doing, uh, when that degrades, they can instantaneously make changes to it. Uh, perhaps that business has a much better chance of out-competing another business where, you know, they're offering a similar product or service, but they don't have that visibility. Uh, I can imagine that over time, there's only going to be one type of business that really survives uh, in the modern competitive landscape. That makes sense. And moving into the future, what can we expect from observability going forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's probably a, a few things that, that we can expect. One trend we're seeing already, which is actually a fantastic trend, is you know, historically, um, a lot of the, the vendors in the space or the providers of solutions here have really built proprietary solutions where, you know, you, you really have to um, adopt to one of these and, and, and the solution produces the data that you need. Uh, so you become really dependent and locked into that particular uh, vendor solution. One industry that uh, one, one trend in the industry that has been occurring that I think will continue to occur is that um, the industry is, is sort of settling more onto this these open source standards uh, and, and industry standards of producing the data in a consistent format, thus that the production of data sort of belongs and the data itself sort of belongs uh, to the customers or the companies that, that that are producing these things, and they sort of have the choice of you know, um, selecting multiple vendors on the back end based on the tooling and the benefits, um, but they're not sort of locked into one um, single particular vendor there. So I think that's a trend we've been seeing already, and that's a trend that's going to continue. And I think that's a trend that is really great for all the companies out there because it just it, it gives them a better choice and, and doesn't lock them into one particular uh, technology or one particular solution, which I think is is great. Um, the other trend that we're sort of starting to to see and, and, and has a lot of perhaps hype around it is this concept of AI ops where, you know, technologies are, well, so the, the thing that observability provides is you get to sort of see when something goes goes wrong potentially and you get to sort of start to, to debug these things, you know, and, and AI ops is the concept of sort of once that is detected, automatically 
remediating a lot of these particular issues. So there's definitely a lot of hype around around that that whole area and that whole topic. And I think it's you know it's a natural progression. Is once you have all the visibility, can you then automate fixing all of the issues there? So that that's an area that I think has a lot of attention right now. Um, I do think it is a little uh, potentially a little uh, hyped, just because you know a a, a lot of the uh, systems. Uh, that we operate today, especially in a modern cloud native architecture, they're fairly complicated systems to debug. So I don't know how quickly we'll get to a point where you know uh, perhaps AI or or you know a, a machine can automatically remediate very complicated issues. Perhaps it could do it for very mundane tasks, but that to me is you know uh, some fairly basic automation and scripts as opposed to really. AI or, or, or anything sort of um, dynamic and, and, and smart that way. So, you know, I, I think that is an area that's going to get more iteration for sure. I think there's, you know, based on these observability tools, there's already a lot of sort of integrations with systems like CICD that can do things like roll back a bad deployment and things like that. So we're starting to get there on a lot of the the basics that you can do um, around, around automation. Um, however, I do think that for observability, a lot of the tools still have to be optimized for the human operator and the, the, the person who really understands this complicated architecture and can sort of bring in the relevant contextual information for them to make decisions on both how to root cause and debug issues, but then also what the correct remediation steps are. So, so I see that that's probably where a lot of these tooling uh, tools are going to head towards. That's where we're sort of headed towards. Um, from a chronosphere perspective, and then perhaps in many years in the future, we can get far more complicated with um, automating far more complex um, scenarios. But I just don't think we're going to get there anytime soon. Um, I think that's a, a great and responsible answer. I think it's good to manage the expectations of um, of technology. I've seen in the industry that I work in where the kind of the the myth that the software will fix everything has yeah. uh, has has kind of gone has backfired so yeah let's yeah. be you know it's a work in progress and um, that's yep. great but let's get down to the juicy stuff have you got any good use cases on how observability has solved some some of the space's common problems yeah um a hundred percent i think what's interesting about uh, observability i didn't really touch upon this earlier as well as that you know historically when we looked at apm tools and it monitoring tools they're actually separate tools that you would use to, to monitor different parts of, of your technology stack, right? So you would use an IT monitoring tool that would only give you visibility into your infrastructure. And then you would use an APM tool that would only give you visibility into the application. And that perhaps you would use a BI tool to give you sort of business level insights. I think what's interesting with observability these days and a lot of the use cases we see is that all of that data now goes into a single platform. So you have all of that data sitting in one place, which I think is a pretty big advantage for a lot of companies out there because you know now you have the developer who these days really, you're not just writing the software, you sort of have to be in charge of operating the software as well, the whole concept of, of DevOps there. Um, and if you're in charge of operating that software, um, generally you want that visibility into the applications and the infrastructure in the one place so you can see sort of any of the downstream and upstream dependencies there. But more and more what we're seeing is that actually we're bringing that business view as well. So in a lot of the companies that we work with, so companies like DoorDash or Zillow or Normal, it's really, uh, Normal Security is the last one there. It's, it's really interesting to see that a lot of these use cases 
um, start with uh, what really matters to these companies, which is what is the, the impact on the end consumer or the end customer there. And they're actually having a pretty um, high-level business view into things, right? Uh, perhaps I can use an example of a company I used to work at, which was Uber. Uh, we, we could actually track how many rides were being accepted or requested at a single point in time. And, you know, you can imagine that is a piece of data that not a single application or a single service goes and, and produces the combination of, of a lot of services. So if you just look at a particular application or a particular service, it's not really going to give you that that data. But if you if you um, if we're also collecting the data, which we did at a higher level for the business, um, getting that that information in real time, you can imagine is pretty uh, impactful. Seeing how many rides are being actively done at a single point in time, and not having to wait for the potential multi-minute, hour, or day to delay on a BI tool gives you that sort of real-time advantage in business. But then the power of the observability tooling is you can imagine if there's a dip in the amount of um, requests or there's a dip in the amount of successful requests, all of the tooling, uh, sorry, all of the data for all the applications and the infrastructure underneath that that support that particular request flow uh, is all in the same system as well. So you can literally go from what is being impacting my or what is impacting my business in real time right now to what are the issues down the stack in my in my application tier or what are the issues in the infrastructure tier that are directly causing that. And having that sort of um, end-to-end visibility across the whole stack there uh, is a pretty powerful and, and really interesting way that modern companies are really adopting observability. Uh, and and it's, it's a bunch of these use cases that you couldn't, even though these APM tools and these IT monitoring tools gave you parts of that answer, you couldn't really get the holistic answer and definitely not in the, in the speed in which you can sort of debug these issues is really an, a night and day. So it's, it's really use cases like that that, that I think are, have, have never been sort of achieved before that I find extremely interesting. And, and, and a lot of these companies are sort of leveraging the Chronosphere platform to achieve a lot of these things. Yeah, I'm just thinking. I, I know um, I'm in London at the minute, and certainly um, there's been certain nights out when um, people I've been with have had like several Uber rides cancelled. So I, yeah. I wonder, like, they'd be able to track that and then like rate the good and the bad drivers, I guess. Right, right, and, and I think that uh, that's interesting for the the business use case, right? Because it's not like it's not every issue that is caused by a piece of software or you know potentially uh, caused by. A, an infrastructure outage there. You know, you can imagine your particular use case, it would potentially be fairly uh, insightful to a business operations person to say, hey, actually the number of canceled rides, like right now at this point in time in London is spiking. That's interesting. They could go and check that it, it is it caused by a particular infrastructure outage or is it caused by a particular software uh, bug? Generally, probably, uh, you know, potentially not in, in that particular use case because there's a driver canceling that. So, you know, you can imagine that having that data in real time will allow the business operations folks to do things like think about, well, okay, what could be causing this right now? Is it because it's really bad weather? Is it because it's really bad um, or there's a really big concert or something like that that's causing the supply and demand to be fairly um, potentially broken at that particular point in time? And that could then go and trigger particular uh, remediations of that, like running a promotion to get more drivers online, et cetera, in order to fix that in real time. And you can imagine if they can fix that in real time for you, you would be a much happier customer because the next time you request a minute later, hopefully um, that that exact issue won't happen and you won't be cancelled upon. 
Oh, I love that. And something that you mentioned earlier was previously there were many different tools being used and now this is all available in one tool. There must be a lot of not just cost savings with this and not having to buy different various tools, but also a massive time saving because you're not having to do the same thing three times or four times with four different tools. You're just doing it in one tool now. A hundred percent. I think you hit it spot on in, in both cases. Um, you know, the, the time saving one, I think is really interesting because it's not only three different tools. You can imagine the interfaces to those tools are different. So in, in, in the, in the, in, in one particular incident that you may have to go and, and dive into, you can imagine switching between three tools and three different interfaces is actually uh, pre- pretty annoying and a lot of sort of mental overhead. And, and that will just increase the amount of time it takes to figure out these issues at a fundamental um, level there. So, so, so that's a huge impact. And that's actually one of the big advantages of having it all in one particular place. To your first point, definitely sort of consolidation of tooling generally helps um, with cost. Uh, however, what we're seeing with observability, which I, th- I actually think is a fairly um, worrying trend for the industry, what we're seeing with observability is, you know, at, as you adopt cloud native architecture and as you sort of break up your applications into smaller pieces and run on containers now, actually what ends up happening is the amount of data that gets produced grows um, and it grows fairly exponentially uh, there. And generally, as you make this shift, your infrastructure footprint or your infrastructure bill doesn't really grow that much because it's not like you need a lot more hardware or resources to adopt this type of architecture. It's just a different architecture that you run. But this this new cloud native architecture does produce a ton more data um, than the old systems there. So actually, one of the issues with the observability um, uh, space right now is that um, you know a lot more data gets produced, and hence a lot of these solutions end up costing a lot more. In fact, I think there was a recent study that was done where about 71% of companies in the industry right now are, are really concerned at the, the, the growth in the volume of observability data. Uh, and it's actually an issue that most vendors out there aren't really motivated, uh, I would say, to fix because uh, the more data there is, generally, the more the more uh, expensive a solution would be, you know, and that that helps a lot of vendors with their with, with their top line. So, you know, Chronosphere is is one of the few companies that I would say are really trying to tackle this data growth problem because you know if you have more data and you get better results out of it, that would be one thing. But there's more data and actually people are not getting better results. People are not being able to detect issues as fast or remediate issues as fast. So, you know, trying to tackle this problem is actually a pretty, it's actually a pretty big problem for the industry overall. Um, and, and it's actually one of the two things that we really focus on solving here at Chronosphere is attempting to provide um, tooling to help companies manage that growth of data and really get the value out of the data they are producing as opposed to just focus on producing more data. Interesting. So when someone is looking at an observability tool and they're considering yourself and some other suppliers, what advice would you give them? Like, What should they be looking out for? You've, you've just mentioned about how they're managing the data, et cetera. Is there anything else that you'd add? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know... Um, the industry right now is is really focused on uh, almost like checking a lot of boxes. You know, um, you know, can can a particular tool uh, handle all the different data types that are out there? Uh, and I think we've sort of lost track a little bit on a what these tools are meant to do um, and, and what value we get out of the tools. Uh, so I think you know, like in a lot of conversations we have, and we ask a lot of customers or prospective customers um, about particular things, they, they they tend to not think about 
the things that really matter anymore. And I think, again, it's, it's, it's probably a, a thing that the vendors in the space have, have gotten people to think about the sort of things that will be optimized for the vendors in the space, which makes a lot of sense. Um, but, but I think, you know, uh, often when we talk to a lot of these companies, you know, when we ask them like, Hey, is your, like, A, is your data growing? Is that concern you? But also, you know, um, are your tools being as effective anymore? And often they're not really thinking about it. They don't tend to measure how effective these tools are. And if they start measuring it, they often find that these tools are becoming less and less effective. So often people are picking um, not on the effectiveness of the tool and not really sort of doing that ROI calculation of well, how much am I paying for a solution like this and what value do we get out of it? Um, so I think, you know, generally for a lot of tools out there, you would generally want to run an ROI type of, of analysis. And I think that in, in, in our particular space, um, which just sort of seem to have gotten away from that a little bit and focus a lot more on sort of, you know, um, every tiny feature that a platform can have and, and sort of comparing platforms there, potentially because there just isn't many choices out there that, that are going to really be uh, focused at, you know, uh, things like controlling that data growth and things like providing you more effective um, ways to detect and, and remediate um, issues out there. So at least if it was, it was, if it was me and, and you know, even in spaces outside of observability, I think uh, thinking about that return on investment is going to be critical. And, and that's probably the best advice I can give for somebody looking at a lot of this, this tooling uh, and the options out there. Fantastic advice. I know who I'm going to be coming to for observability now. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you so much, Martin, for all your great insights today. Um, it's Thanks to everyone who's listened as well to our conversation. If you'd like more information on what we've discussed today, make sure you head over to the chronosphere.io website. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. But until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, head on over to 3em360tech.com. Thanks very much.